Well, good morning. How are you doing today? Um, thank you, uh, Chris and Bonnie and our, our choir behind us and, and Terry. Let's give them a round of applause for our worship today. I know we, uh, we take it for granted every week and just, uh, uh, just really enjoyed all the hymns and, and songs today. So anyway, well, uh, my little two-year-old, John David, he's pretty active like, a, like most little two-year-old boys. And, uh, and, and I told my wife, I said, you know, if we get a good Saturday that's nice and sunny, because in the last, there's been a lot of rain lately, I like to take the kids to the playground, take our, our new dog to the playground, take both little puppies, we call them our puppies, take both our little puppies out uh, to the playground, let them run around. And uh, so we did that yesterday, and it's just fun to watch John David get more and more independent. And he's two, he turned two, uh, what, last week, or yeah, about eight days ago. And uh, so he's two years old, and, and so it's just fun to kind of watch him grow up. It's kind of sad at the same time, but there's still one thing he can't do, and he can't, he can't swing himself, you know. I think we have a picture of him sitting on a swing. There he is. That's in our backyard there. And, uh, and if you can't see his shoes, I know that his shoes are hidden, but those are green shoes. You can't quite see them in the picture. But anyhow, uh, you know, when, when he's on the swing, uh, he, he says, swing, swing, and then he gets on a swing, but you know, he can't swing himself because he can't push himself he hasn't learned how to pump his legs and that kind of thing and so so if he wants to swing he needs his mother which is in the picture there or his dad or somebody to push him to swing and then he'll just swing as long as he wants to and then when he's done sometimes he just tries to hop off without warning me you know I know let me know you, you want to get down he'll just kick it right off uh, but he knows and I know and anyone watching knows that that he's not producing the power to to, to swing. I, I'm the one providing the power, providing the, the inertia, the physics behind it to get him to, to swing. He, he needs help to swing. If he just sits there and tries to swing, he hasn't learned how to do it. He's not going to do it. As we continue today to explore uh, the concept of grace. Now, grace, we have saving grace in our life where God saves us. We also have just our daily enabling grace that God gives us to live the Christian life. You can't live the Christian life without God's grace. And so as we continue to explore this concept, we're going to see uh, how God's grace is often uh, that father, that parent, that mother that, that's pushing us on a swing. Often God's pushing us, and, and maybe we don't realize it. And so many times we try to push ourselves when we don't know how or we can't push ourselves. And so we're going to be looking at that today as we talk about living by grace. And we're in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Paul says, But when Cephas, and that's what he called Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, 
but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law that, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Heavenly Father, as we continue to worship this cool, brisk morning in January 2021, we're thankful for how you have brought us through the past year in our church and thankful how you have kept so many of us safe. And so, Lord, we, we look forward to the next year as a church. And we look forward to later in the year even where we're hopeful that people will start resuming normality. They'll feel more comfortable leaving their house. They'll feel more comfortable attending worship, going and doing things. I thank you for those that are watching at home that still cannot leave their house or still feel like they can't. And so we thank you, thank you for our media ministry that can reach people. And we thank you for this building that we are in where we can worship you so we can hear all about the gospel of grace. And today specifically, Lord, we pray that you would show us how we can live by grace, how you are the power pushing us on the swing. You are the one who gives us the, the power to live the Christian life. Help us understand and see that, Father. Lord, I pray that my words today are your words. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I want to give us three ways that grace helps us live a life devoted to Jesus Christ. Three ways that grace helps us live a life devoted to Jesus Christ. Number one, God's grace helps us avoid hypocrisy. God's grace helps us avoid hypocrisy. hypocrisy. You know, many years ago, uh, if you would ask the common person why they don't attend church, and I don't know if this is still the same, but it was a few years ago, uh, they, one of the top five reasons what they would say was that the church is filled with what? Yeah, so you've heard that before, haven't you? The church is filled with hypocrites. Well, you know what? They're right, because on many levels we are all hypocrites. But what they're getting at is a very different thing. They're getting at this idea that a person is one way on Sunday morning and they're different on Monday morning. And that's what they are talking about. So God's grace will help us avoid that because we are all prone to be hypocrites from time to time. But God's grace helps us avoid it. Look at verse 11. Paul says, when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Did you realize that the apostles had, had a little of bickerings? Well, they did. And we see this here. 
Why? For, verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they drew back and separated himself, fearing, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Again, the circumcision party is those that said you had to be Jewish in order to be a Christian. Now, for some reason, Peter lived out this, the Jewish tradition that they had, that only eating with Jews. Now that, now, that really wasn't what the law said. The law said they had to eat certain foods, but it morphed into this thing where you only ate with other Jews. And this was the tradition. So, so he would eat with other Jews when Gentiles were not around, but when he was with Gentiles and Jews weren't around, he would eat with them. Now, it's possible that Peter thought that he was just kind of being all things to all people, but Paul realizes that wasn't his motivation, that he was doing it out of fear, and he says that he was being a hypocrite. Now, why would Paul go to the, the lengths to call Peter out for being a hypocrite? I'm sure he was not the first Jew trying to figure this out as, as people who weren't Jewish were becoming Christians and as Jews were becoming Christians. Why was it such an issue with, with Peter? Well, because Peter was a leader. He wrote several books of the New Testament. He was a part of Jesus' inner circle of three disciples before Jesus died and was resurrected. Peter was a leader. Look at verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Barnabas, Paul's traveling partner, one of his friends in the faith. See, leadership cannot be acted out in private. That's the weird thing about leadership. It can't be acted out in private because no one sees it in private. Simon Peter was a leader in the church, and he couldn't do one thing with one group of people and approve of their actions and then do another with another group of people who that other group didn't approve of. People follow leaders. And had it been some other New Testament believer, that would be one thing, but this was Peter. So Paul explains that even his friend Barnabas took Peter's lead in following the hypocritical actions. And the Greek word here for hypocrisy refers to an actor who is on stage. Because the Greek actors, they wore masks. You've seen these drama masks. So a hypocrite was someone who spoke from underneath a mask. That was a hypocrite. Uh, several, a couple years ago, my daughter went to a, a drama camp in the school that she had made. And uh, they practiced for two weeks to do his performance. And I was all excited because, you know, she you know, drove down there every day, uh, you know, in the summer. Picked her up down there in Goose Creek. And she practiced for two weeks. And then we came. And when she had the big performance. And she came out on stage with about seven or eight other little girls and boys. And she was wearing a drama mask. And, and, and she was, you know, doing, doing the drama. And, and the, the skit was that they, were, they all had masks on. And I'm sitting there watching who I think is my daughter, because I can't tell because they're all the same size, doing all these acting things with this drama mask on. And, and, I, and I spoke to my wife. I said, we sent her to camp for two weeks to act and for us to watch her and not know which one she is. I was like, whose idea was that? right? Like, I don't know which one. Oh, okay, I recognize her shoes. That's her, right? So afterwards, when it was done, I told her she did a great job, and once I figured out which one she was, and uh, 
And I said, no, why did y'all wear the masks? And she said, oh, well, because it, it, we wore it because they teach us that it helps us be more expressive on stage without relying on our face. I said, okay, well, that, that's a good learning tool, but I don't know why you would perform that way when, you know, we just want to see your daughter. We want to get her on camera. We want to get her on video. So anyway, all that being aside, she had this mask on, and you could still kind of little tell which one she was, even with the mask. A hypocrite is someone who is merely acting, merely acting. And this is what Peter was doing. He thought he was covered up. He thought he had covered up his hypocrisy with his mask. And Paul said, no, 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 no. I know which one you are. (laughs) No, no, no. You can't do that, Peter. He said he believed in in salvation by faith alone in Jesus. But when he was around his, his Jewish friends, he acted like what they believed. It's like he was wearing this mask to cover up his true beliefs. Peter, can Jews eat with Gentiles or not? If they can, then why do you eat with Jews only groups? And if they can't, then why do you eat with Gentiles? One principle of leadership is if you try to make both sides, if there's two sides, if you try to make both opposing sides happy, then both sides will usually end up upset over something. Leaders must decide what it is they believe, and Peter was still trying to figure this out, what it is they believe about something, and then they got to do that thing, because whatever that is, people will follow. So he says in verse 14, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, in their, everyone's presence, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews. Now, some may argue, well, wasn't Peter just giving both sides grace? No, because the tradition of Jews not eating with Gentiles was in complete contradiction with the grace of the gospel. Believers in Jesus are free to eat with each other. That's grace. It's not law. It's not a moral code. And I want to make a caveat about grace. Grace doesn't mean you live however you want and do whatever you want. That's, that's not grace. doesn't mean you live however you want and do however you want because God's forgiven you. Grace gives us the freedom to do what is right, but it also gives us the freedom to, to disciple other believers into what is right. Now, God will continue to give us grace even if we sin, but we are not to be careless in our living because we live in grace. Look what Paul says in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, can we just sin and just say, we know God's forgiven me. It doesn't really matter. Verse 2, by no means, Paul says. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Grace allows us to walk in that newness of life. We can take the masks off. We don't have to act anymore. When we live like it doesn't matter if we sin or not, then people will view us as hypocrites. They will see our hypocrisy. 
So we have to take the masks off and trust Christ with the grace. And we truly live in God's grace. We are free from hypocrisy. Secondly, God's grace makes us right with God. God's grace makes us right with God. Verse 15. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. See, the Jews thought that, that they were good with God just because of their heritage, just because of, of their backgrounds, God's chosen people. They didn't need any way to Jesus because uh, they had the covenant. And there are still Jews, or Orthodox Jews, who believe this today, that they don't need Jesus. And they thought that they were in a right relationship with God if they, if they just did what they were supposed to do. That's what justification means. Justification is one of the, the hallmark themes of Christianity. It's why we will enter heaven one day, while we will live with Christ forever one day. It literally means to declare one righteous. Righteous means without moral fault. Well, we all have moral faults. And the Bible calls moral faults sins. We're all sinners, therefore no one is righteous. Romans 3.10 says this, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And he says in verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. In other words, a person is not made right with God by doing good things. It's not how you get made right with God, by just being a good moral person. You're not made right with God that way. You're made right, verse 16, through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, that is still an amazing thing to me. That God sees us as innocent, not guilty sinners, if we just believe in what Jesus and who he was and what he did. That's not, still not amaze us. We just have faith in him. And he clears it. That's God's grace. And we still will struggle with that most of our lives. He says, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified, to be made right by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, not by keeping the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We cannot be made right, God, through our moral efforts. Cannot happen. There's not enough good things we can do to clear our sins. Think about a personal relationship you have with someone. Maybe someone against you or someone you know just sinned against you really bad. And they were sorry and apologetic, and then they spent the rest of their life making up for it, right? doing good things. Would you forget the time they sinned against you? Probably not. You might forgive them, but you wouldn't forget it, and you would always be there, and you'd always remember, and, and you would still think about it, and you still might have occasional bitterness. It's not the same with Jesus. He says, I take your sins, and it's like taking them from the east to the west. Just by believing in Christ, all your sins are wiped away. Never bring them up again. Faith in Jesus will do that. Look at Romans 10, 9 through 10. Paul says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
That's all it takes. Why? For with the heart one believes and is justified and is made right. And with the mouth one confesses and saves. See, we can say it. We also have to believe it. We can believe it when we have to say it. Now, we know what we've said. And we know what people said. But only God knows our heart. Only God knows the heart. So we have to be careful even judging those that say it. But we know and you know, if you believe you're justified, God's grace makes us right with God. Still a miracle. Still amazing to think about. Number three. But it's not over there. God's grace makes us new people. God's grace makes us new people. Verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What is he saying? This is a kind of a, a difficult Greek to, to parse out. He's saying, in other words, Jesus was not leading the Jews into sin by abandoning their view of salvation by works. He says, rather, the one who, who goes back to the law is the real sinner. And the Jews were afraid that they were sinning by not doing all they had to do to keep the law. They, they thought they were sinning. Letting go of, of moralism, letting go of legalism is scary because we feel like we're doing wrong. It's like we're, we're sinning in some way by not working hard for God's love. But we're actually doing wrong when we rely on our own works to save us. Grace makes us new people with, with new thought patterns and, and new behaviors of how we think about how we live our lives. Verse 19, he says, For through the law I died to the law. Why? So that I might live to God. I'm not living for the law anymore. I'm not living for the check marks. I'm not living to make everything look good on the outside. I'm not living for the mask. I'm living for the Lord. Amen? Well, that doesn't mean we just live how we want. That means we live for the Lord. The old moralist in you is dead. The first step in changing is dying to the old you. Look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Just as Christ was literally crucified on the cross for the sins of many, we crucify our present life, our past life. We leave it there. And spiritually speaking, we are, our new life comes down off the cro cross and lives in the power of grace. And just as Jesus defeated death by rising from the grave and had a resurrected body, and he showed people his body, we have a new life. But it's not a better us. It is a Jesus us. It's not a better us. It's a Jesus us. That's who we are. He says, in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we now live our lives not by rules or for fear of making the right choices of the rules. We live in faith in God. We give him our worries. We give him our fears and our perfectionism because he loved us so much for us not to have to do that. I heard an illustration the other day. I said many Christians view their life as a train sitting on the railroad tracks. They hop in that train and they wonder why it won't go. Or they get, they get in the back and they try to push it down the railroad tracks. They haven't started the engine. They have no one driving. And they wonder, why will this train not take me where I want to go? Because you are trying to do the work yourself. Living a Christian life is like pushing, without the grace of God, it's like pushing a train down the railroad tracks. It's not meant to go that way or, that, or act that way. You're meant to get on there, and the engineer fuels it up himself. I've never put, I've never started a train. Have you? You ever been on a train? I haven't. Shovel the coals in the engine or anything like that? Engineer does all that. He gets in, and he takes you, and you're just along for the ride. That's what living in the grace of God is. It's a long for the ride, but we're out there trying to push the train down the tracks. Verse 21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Jesus says, I died so you can ride with me, not to try to do it all yourself. If we don't live that way, we nullify God's grace, Paul says. If we could become righteous with God, if we could be made right with God through our own morality, then Jesus died for no reason. Sadly, though, we often live our lives as if Jesus died for no reason. But God's grace makes us new people. You know, one day, John David will grow up pretty soon. Man, he'll be on that swing, and I'll look out the window, and he's going to be pumping his legs and swinging himself. And I'm going to have a little tear about it, because I'm going to remember the time I used it for a sermon illustration. And he's not going to need my help. Now, he'll take my help, but he's not going to need it. But unlike John David, unlike John David, we're always going to need God's help. Amen. We're always going to need it. Don't try to live the Christian life without God producing the power. Don't try to live the Christian life without God pushing you in the swing. Or you'll just be sitting there in the swing wondering why you're not moving. Heavenly Father, as we close our time together today, help us trust in you as you give us the grace to get moving. To live the life you've given us to live through Jesus Christ. Father, as I mentioned last week, the battle for grace starts in our own hearts. Allow us to live in that grace you give us. Give us the, the desire to want to do and live right, not because we have to, because we want to. Because of what you've done for us.
Father, if there's one in here that's never placed their faith in you before, they would do so today. Your word says they're saved if they do. They would turn from their sins and believe in you. What a miracle that is. Lord, you've chosen to save us that way. Through Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, your word says we confess and believe we're saved. We thank you for that truth. Maybe there's one watching this today on the internet, just going through their day and found it. Maybe they need to receive Jesus, and they would do so today. Lord, we thank you so much for what you've given us in Christ. And as we leave today, we'll do so knowing that you are pushing us. You are fueling us up, taking us down the tracks as we live in the power of your grace. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.